Welcome to Gospel Entrepreneurs. My name's Roy Crown, and this comes to you in partnership with UCB and the Revelation Trust. I am thrilled today to have my great friend, Rachel Gardner. She's been around a while, not that she's old. She set up Romance Academy. She did a BBC program on teenage sex. She's a real gospel entrepreneur. Now with her husband, they're on a church planting initiative up in the north of England in Blackburn Diocese, which is fantastic. So sit back, listen and enjoy Rachel Gardner on Gospel Entrepreneurs. It's my privilege to invite you to talk about what it means to be a gospel entrepreneur, because whether you like it or not, Rachel, you are one and you've kind of done it. So, Rachel, tell us a bit about you uh, so that people know who they're listening to and then we'll crack on from there. (laughs) Thank you. Well, thank you. It's really lovely to join you. And it is lovely to see your face because although we're recording this for audio, I get to see you, Roy. I'm not seeing you in ages. This is lovely. And, I, and I'm so grateful that you, you've used the phrase gospel entrepreneur because I, I think you're right. I wouldn't have called myself that and I've never heard that phrase before. But what I love about it is that you've put together that idea of pioneering and innovation, which is what I love. And you put it together with the gospel, gospel is leading on that. And that's so true. That's why I think I've done the stuff I've done is because I believe Jesus is good news for every area of, of young people's lives. And so that's what's fueled me to do things. So, yeah, so you, lovely introduction. I'm also a mum of, of two little kids. We adopted them. And uh, we have um, a house full of young adults that live with us that have come to plant church wow. with us. Which is fun. And I'm a southerner living in the north. I think I'll always be a foreigner up here. I think they'll just hear my accent and realise that I drink really milky tea. And that will always keep me on the wrong side of history, really. <laughs> and did you marry a northerner or was he a southerner? Where, where, where no, he is a northerner. So, so Jason is a northerner. He's, he's a Lancashire boy. And okay. uh, we, we've been married for over 20 years and have, and have lived most of those years in London. And um, But he always knew that I think God would bring him back to the golden country. And I was like, no, surely <laughs> I'll be able to influence this one. But no, I didn't. And interestingly for Jason, he... Um, his big kind of wrestle with faith as a late teen, early adult happened up here. So although he grew up in a really wonderful Christian family that you know, modeled to him uh, Jesus-centered life, he went on a massive journey himself, got involved in all sorts of naughtiness and illegal activity and the rest of it. And Jesus brought him back hard <laughs> to the kingdom well, of God. Well, you married into a bit of a gardener dynasty. I so did, you, know, yeah. you married into a Christian <laughs> dynasty, free Methodism and all that. But anyway, let's yeah. move on. Let's not yes. go there. <laughs> Um, so entrepreneurs, I think the reason that I would put you as that is because they see a need and they have a dream to kind of make a difference in that need. And that kind of started with you initially back in the day yeah. when you were looking at girls and sexuality yeah. and all of that. So give us yes. that story. Yes. So this was sort of mid 2000s when the kind of the public scare really around young women particularly was unplanned teenage pregnancy. And um, we had the highest rates of unplanned teenage pregnancy for for Western Europe in the UK. And I was a scripture union high schools worker in North London and found that I was doing lots of lessons, RE lessons, Christian union lunch clubs. 
but also spending loads of time with boys and girls who are just feeling crushed and overwhelmed by pressure within culture to be sexually active. I mean, these are the days before TikTok and Instagram and online pornography, but the pressure was still really real. And so I, I very quickly thought, actually, the way that this generation are connecting with the gospel is through these big conversations about identity and about what's the purpose of my life. And, and so I began to do more and more and more in the whole field of sex and relationships education, not really as an expert at all, but just as a Christian that believes that the wisdom of God is for everybody. And then I got involved with a BBC Two documentary drama called No Sex Please, We're Teenagers. We chose six North London boys and six North London girls aged 15 to 17, not Christians. And we said, we want you to live out a Christian sexual ethic. So no sexual activity for nine months. And me and this other youth worker, we'll coach you through that. And, and it began there really, Roy, saying, what would it look like if young people outside of the church got to taste and see that God's ways are good? What would that do in terms of them engaging with the gospel? So not just what we're teaching them, but what we're inviting them to experience of the goodness of God. And a number of them became Christians which was kind of like, whoa, I didn't know they were allowed to become Christians if we haven't done like Alpha or all those groups. But we found that when those young people then joined the local church, they didn't think, oh, I can't now ask God about drugs and alcohol and sex. They just assumed that God cares about it all and they're totally right, aren't they? But it meant the churches then had a challenge on their hands. Like, what do you do if you have young people from a non-church background? who discover that God is good and they follow Jesus and they bring everything with them that is in their culture and lifestyle. How do we disciple them? Well, so that's really where, where my kind of stuff started, I think. Yeah, and, and you saw a need, you became aware of it in conversation, but then from there you created a whole ministry. I mean, Rachel, let's not underestimate, and I think most entrepreneurs, they see a need, God puts something in their heart, there's kind of, what do you care about? What do you think about? And this is what you started to care about. And then you put something in place. Give us, you know, people may be listening. I'm not an entrepreneur, but they see a need and there's nothing there. And you created something out of nothing. So after the BBC little program and all of that, what, what did you do? The first thing that, that Dan and I did, which was hilarious, because we were in our late 20s then, we said, well, there are lots of other youth workers and, and adults that work with young people who love Jesus. Let's get them together and talk about it. So we ran a conference in, in a hotel in Heathrow Airport because people wanted to fly in from other countries. And, and honestly, Roy, it was the most pathetic conference in the world. We'd not really done anything. We just, we just like all got in a room and said, what should we do? But I think looking back now, that probably was the right thing to do because I think what the kind of the weakness of for me as an entrepreneur is that I can sometimes think I see a need I've got an idea so therefore it's just on me to do it and sometimes God does call us to be the pioneers that spend a long time just crafting and grafting and, and but other times God's like I've I've also put this on to other people's hearts go find them I'm not a big fan of, you know, projects by committee because that can kill everything. But I am a fan of getting like-minded, like-hearted people around you and iron sharpens iron. So although Dan and I then went on and set up the charity and we developed our resources and we had it evidence-based and we had all the governance and all the stuff that goes around it, 
actually what's always been alongside it has been that sense there's a movement of people who want to see Jesus move in power in people's lives and they're prepared to say maybe even in sex education God could do that so I think entrepreneurs we're people that are looking and if you're listening you'll know this is you because you're not just looking to do the product but you're looking to stir up the movement and I think that's what has always really blessed me and encouraged me and obviously Rachel you were young you're in the 20s the sex subject, you know, kind of putting it out there, you and your husband, you know, yeah. how was that? You were like, wow, what, what? I'm a sex expert all of a sudden. <laughs> what is this all about? Oh, I, remember, I remember when the programme was first aired and I went into our local Tesco's and a, t- a teenager from a local high school just was stood behind me in the queue and tugged on her mum's arm and said, mum, that's the God sex lady. And I was like, oh no, I'm the God sex lady. I mean, interestingly, I think I'm the biggest prude you'll ever find. I still find words about sex really funny. I makes me want to giggle. And part of me feels maybe that's quite good because it is a sacred subject and it is a sensitive subject and we never want to kind of play loose and fast with it. I think for me, it's a great touchstone piece, Roy. I kind of think at this moment, I'm chatting with a, with a 14-year-old boy or girl and they're worried about sexting. They've got kind of addictive behaviours around pornography. And if I believe that God is good news, Jesus is good news their whole life, then there's got to be something in this moment that, that can connect them with the gospel. And I think that's always kept me quite grounded and quite hopeful that whatever this generation are facing, and we've got massive issues around gender identity politics, and just so many things are changing rapidly, but the anchor is still the same, that these young people are created in God's image. There's a deep resonance within them to know their creator and to know their design. And so I think... At times, it's felt like it's been a lovely anchor in my life that, God, you care about everything and you care about this conversation I'm about to have now about consent or delaying sexual activity or purity or whatever it it might be. So it's it's quite fun, actually. (laughs) Anyway, so that's one thing. You saw a need, you did it. Then you've kind of moved on. You're now with Youthscape. But you've always had that pioneering entrepreneur there's nothing there. Why can't we put something there? Why can't we put... What, what is it in a person like you that kind of keeps doing that and going for that let's have a go spirit? Because oh. a lot of people don't have that yeah. at Rachel. And I think there's more people that have that in them than mm. we think. And mm. we've got to find the way to give them the tools to do that. Well, firstly, I think everybody needs to spend 10 minutes with you, Roy, because I think what you're very good at is you're very good at calling that heart out of people. And I generally think most of us, we need somebody to spot it in us and call it out of us, either because we don't realise that what we're doing and thinking is entrepreneurial and actually we could learn some disciplines around it, or because actually there's nobody in our life saying, hang on a minute, I want to help you grow in, in the skills. So I do think if you're listening to this thinking, I wonder if those adjective thoughts that I have, that restlessness I have, you know, I wonder if that could be more than just being restless. Find somebody who you think has got a bit of an edge to them and say to them, what do you see in me? Who did that for you, Rachel? I know you say I did, but was it Dan? Was it? Because we always have someone that kind of believes in us or says, no, you're not on a crazy, I I actually, 
I'm going to be a crazy person with you and let's do it together. Yeah. I think actually it's Jason, my husband. He, I remember when I came back to him and said, BBC want to film me talking about sex and stuff. And I I really thought he'd be like, what? Back in your box, woman. And he said, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And I think... I think probably he does that for me. The times that, because I think being an entrepreneur doesn't mean that every day you're full of courage by any stretch. And actually often it can be quite a burden because you think, I see a need, I see an opportunity, I have some hunch of ideas, but who am I to be the one to do it? Surely I'll just wait, God will find somebody else. So you do need some people that say, well, it's like Joshua crossing the river, isn't it? God waited for the river to be the, the, the highest that it was. And I'm sure everyone's like, Joshua, why are we crossing now and not waiting? So I think you do need those people that, that give you the courage encourage that's a great mm. line because i think encouragement means they put courage into you nice. so so actually we don't have courage but by being with someone they put courage into you yeah. because they're an encourager yes so i don't have courage on my own but yes. somebody that puts courage into me yes. is an encourager that is really nice. That's a great way to describe it. And I'm quite old and I've never thought about it that way before. <laughs> That's wonderful. Thank you, Jesus. I think um, the other thing is I'm curious. I'm genuinely curious to see what the kingdom of God looks like and what Jesus is already doing. I remember when we moved to Blackburn and I chatted with a, a vicar locally who is of the same ethnicity as lots of young people on the estate that we're planting a church into. And I said to her, give me some wisdom. We want to pioneer some new youth ministry that connects with these young people. And we're going to get on the streets. We're going to pray. We're going to go door to door. What what do we need to remember? And she said to me, you need to only go to knock on the doors and walk down the streets where you know God has already been. And I said to her, is this a trick question? Because surely God's everywhere. And she said, yes. And when you remember that God is already at work, then you go pioneer in that space because you're not, it's not just you, you're not taking the Holy Spirit there. The Holy Spirit's already at work. And I think that was in a way that articulates probably what my hunch is, which is I remember launching a campaign about something in the fashion industry where I felt their messaging was really destructive for young people and was really against the kingdom. And and I remember thinking, I'm going to make a big noise and splash about this, not because I think God will now do something, but I think God is already doing something in the fashion industry. So I'm going to lend my voice and get a bit of noise around that. And I think when you know that God is already at work, but he wants to partner with you with the creativity that he's given you. And he says, come on, what would it look like if we started a mental health cafe in the middle of town to connect the people that wouldn't go to church? I think that God gets excited about that and we get excited about that. I think that that is a great gift, isn't it? And it's also, Rachel, it's kind of, I often say to people, what do you care about? Because that's a good driver in, in whether you're gonna do something about it And you, all of a sudden, in the fashion industry, you kind of think, I care about this. Yes. yes. God's put that. And and then, so we talked about a few successes. Have you had a bit of a, oh, no, this has (laughs) been a total disaster, and and I'm going to quit, and and give me some of that story. Yes, loads. And at the moment, with church planting, probably every other day, Jason and I say, well, that wasn't a very good idea. Let's try something different. So I think at the moment, I feel like we have lots of little, um, we call them our shelf of shame or our little failures. And as a church culture, we're saying, it's okay if we try things and they don't work. The first idea is very rarely going to be the idea that will have traction. 
But the big one for me, and I think some folks might have heard me talk about this before, but I remember running Romance Academy, and at the same time, I was, Jason, I was discovering... Which came out of nothing. Which came out of nothing. Which you saw, and, and again, entrepreneurially, you just initiated this whole thing, and it yeah, became a national thing. It was amazing. <laughs> Thank you. But give us the story. Um, so me and Jason would, had just found out that we couldn't have our own biological children. And that's tough, Roy, because sometimes we're entrepreneurs, we're leading in spaces where also we're dealing with our own pain. Often leaders have a lot of their own grief. So you're seeing God work miracles in, in one area and then not working miracles in other areas. There's lots going on. And I remember going to a very swanky hotel in London to meet my then chair, lovely Matt Summerfield. I mean, he is Mr. Encouragement, isn't he? He was chairing our board then. And to meet with a funder who basically, the, the, the future of Romance Academy financially was resting on his shoulders. Anyway, so we, we met in this swanky hotel. And the funder, you know, he just looked me in the eye and said, um, I, I just don't think it's a viable model that you've got, Rachel. And I just think you need to close this now. And I remember Matt sort of suddenly sitting quite close to me to let me sort of know I'm with you. But I sort of said, I'm, I'm just going to go and powder my nose. And by the time I got downstairs to the toilets at the bottom of this hotel, I was having a full on, like, you know, ugly crying panic attack to the point that the lovely cleaner in there closed the entire toilets. And then somebody from the uh, management came and there I was on the floor in the toilet, just like, <gasps> and he looked, he, he sort of stood over me as this sort of hotel manager and sort of said over me, I think you are suffering from shock and grief. And I, to this day, I still don't know if that was an angel or a real person. Cause I was like, yes, it is, it's shock and grief. But on the floor in that moment, I, I, I had all that internal dialogue that we've all done where we say, it's me. I've wrecked this. God, you started this. And on my watch, I've destroyed it. I can't pay for our staff. There's no future. You trusted this to me. I'm a failure. But then once I sort of calmed down a bit, then on the floor in this toilet in this hotel, I just got on my knees and said, God, I surrender this to you. And there are big issues. And maybe I'm not the right person to take this further on. I know my skill set. I know what I'm good at and I'm not. And I, I surrender this and I surrender my ego. And I surrender the fact that it feels nice to have led this thing. And if you need to move me out of it, I like it. So although I wouldn't wish that on anybody, it's amazing, Roy, isn't it? How often it is our absolute you know, bottom of the hotel on the floor of the toilets where almost we get real again and, and, and say, God, I'm first and foremost, I'm yours. And first and foremost, it's your dreams that I want to light me up. It was a real turning point. And it would be lovely if the, if the ending of the story was, I went upstairs and the funder said, here's a blimp. No, the funder had gone. Now some of you was like, where the heck have you been? <laughs> um, but of course, good came out of it. But that was a defining moment for me, actually, to say, do you know what? I'm not going to stop innovating because it feels risky. I'm going to risk it all over again. Because God will catch me and God's got this. I'm not going to be afraid. Yeah. And I think sometimes, Rachel, we are too dependent on one check or one person because we think they're going to be the patron or they're when actually God says, well, they just said no. It doesn't mean it's over. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you don't believe in it, but you've got to get that resilience. And I think gospel entrepreneurs like you, you believe the gospel you're still convinced this is right unless you reach a real brick wall and it's like, oh, no, it's over. Yeah. Yeah. But you say, well, that was just one fun. 
But when you are totally dependent and think this is an amazing vision, why can't you see it? You you numpty. You know this is amazing, and and you've just told me it's not going to work. Yeah. I think that's such a key moment because we've all been there. We have all been there, and I don't know any person gospel because. There's all sorts of forces. There's all sorts of spiritual things. There's physical. And I think in the end, what you see is that resilience to yes. say, well, it ain't over until it's over. We've hit a bit of a failure yes. moment or whatever we feel. But I can't believe it, Rachel. Falling on the floor, being... <laughs> it's always dramatic in my world. Can I say, no, nothing is like just contained it's all out there <laughs> but I think I mean I, I don't want to go too much down the gender line on this because I think men can experience like you were kindly say you know we all feel this but I do wonder sometimes whether women whether we sometimes are more afraid of the failure I mean I remember years ago at Spring Harvest I was asked to preach on the main stage again I was 30 31 years old and I hadn't realized till I got there that I was the only female speaker that particular week on the main stage and the other speakers were like Pastor Agu and like just phenomenal church leaders. And, and as the week went on, people were saying, oh, Rachel, you're the only woman. So, so by the time it got to the night, I was suddenly feeling not only have I got to do a good job because I want to serve the Lord and these people, but womanhood is resting on my shoulders. Any, the potential of any other woman preaching here is resting on my shoulders. And I know that's not true. That wasn't true, but it's amazing how we put those expectations on us. And, and so what I did was when they when I said to the guy on the sound desk, again, I didn't check this with anybody, and whether it's a good idea is still the jury is out. But I said to the guy, can I have a headset and can you switch on the mic the moment they introduce me? So what I did for him was once they introduced me at Spring Harvest, big top, I walked along the stage and did the most almighty stage fall on the stage before I got to the lectern. Cause I just thought I've got to kill any expectation here. I've got to kill it dead. <laughs> and again, probably not advisable, but I fell, I fell flat on my face. And then I stood up and I got to the lectern. I think my opening line was something was like, when you're one person in 10,000, but you go against the flow, all the eyes are on you. I think it was something like that, like a drop the mic moment. But I think sometimes, whether it's because of your gender or because of your ethnicity or whatever else that you might be carrying that, that feels like there's an additional kind of weight to what you're doing. I think sometimes we can feel, I've, I've got to be good at this because women don't get many shots at this or we don't get many chances at this. So I've got to do this well. And I think it's really important that we all hear that men and women, all of us struggle with the imposter voice. All of us feel that. But actually, as children of God, we're released. We, we're not, we don't operate under fear. We operate under freedom, don't we? And I think that, <laughs> so don't, don't do almighty falls sure, on but, stages. But. And, and I think God opens up these opportunities. And, you know, you're now speaking on platforms. You've just come back from learning. You know, you are now, yeah. now, you've pioneered it for many, many girls and many, many people, and you've recognised it. But somebody listening to that may say, great, what what have been some key landmark moments? You know, writing a book, that's a big deal for, you know, yeah. are you a writer? I don't know. Um, all of those things. I think the inner voice says you can't do it or you're not very good or you're inferior or somebody else would do it. 
But I always say, yes. if God's put it in you, don't look at yes. what you can't do. Have a go. Push out. I think the church, your church partner, we need more of this gospel entrepreneurship in local church, in community, social enterprise, yes. and in business. Now, we recognize it in business. It's kind of acknowledged. We don't yes. always recognize it in local church or social enterprise. Yes, that's great, Roy. <laughs> so you did it on books. What made you write a book? I think, again, somebody asked me and I said, no, I'm not a writer. And they said, but all those things that you say to young people in North London, wouldn't you like more young people to hear that? And I said, yeah. And they said, well then, write it down. So I, I think, um, I, I think, I love what you said, because I think that often it's the very, it's the very skill set that God has given us and the, the um, closeness with community that we don't even notice is unique to us. But often that is a starter point. So I'm just thinking there might be someone listening to this and you work in, in a, a line of work where there are very few Christians. Maybe you work um, on a factory floor, maybe you're an HGV driver, maybe you work in a, in a business or a company, and you're thinking, to be a gospel entrepreneur, I've got to be developing a resource that's used in church. No, to be a gospel entrepreneur, where has God opened up space to you? But you wouldn't automatically think about that, would you? Because it's your everyday life. And I think, I think gospel entrepreneurs often are those that really thrive in thinking what are the opportunities in my everyday life a church leader doesn't have contact with the people that you have contact with they would love to but they but they don't and so I think maybe rather than as you say rather than looking around at I need to be a gospel entrepreneur like that person over there asking God what is what's the pool that you've put me in who do I have you know contact with on a daily basis and starting there what it looked like for them to have opportunities to hear about Jesus and to know what that looks like. Um, and then I think gospel entrepreneurs finally are people that embody the kingdom of God. You know, we are ambassadors of heaven. Just like, you know, if I had a friend from the States, I've got a cousin actually from America and I, and I she's such an ambassador for America. So even though she's living in England, we know when it's Thanksgiving and we know when it's Labor Day because she lives the values of her citizenship in England, when nobody else is doing it. And I think we are citizens of heaven. We unleash the joy and the wonder of heaven on earth. And so living in your everyday workplace as an ambassador of heaven, people who come alongside you will know that you're from a different place. <laughs> I think that's great, Rachel. And you see a new desired outcome. So you're kind of, it don't have to be the way it is that we always see something and we think it doesn't have to be like that. that yes, there, is, there is a new way that you could do that's this. Right. And you did that with Romance Academy. You did it around sexual orientation. Yeah. You probably put yeah. that into girls in the Girls Brigade as president. I think yeah. it's a new desired outcome that's not in existence. It, you create yeah. something yeah. out of nothing because it's not there. Yeah. And, and I think... Mm -hmm you've done that i think it's kind of saying well if you see something you know there's poverty on the street people are hungry somebody thinks we need to do something about that we that's not a kingdom value there's a kingdom perspective we can bring to that let's be entrepreneurial and 
And I yeah. think it's often small steps. Now, when you get to the big, but just just start small, just kind of initiate yeah. a yeah. few things. And then if yeah. God opens it up, great. But we often think, oh, I need 50,000 pound, when actually oh. get 500 quid and see what you do with Absolutely. that. Absolutely. If you think about the big projects that the church and the country know about, CAP Food Bank, they started as one person doing one thing in the shop, didn't they? I mean, they, I mean, you were there at the early days of lots of them as well, Roy. They, it didn't start as someone sat down saying, let's have a nationwide strategy to feed families that can't afford to feed. No, it was one person in their local store. And then that was upscaled because the moment you have a model that works on a quite a small scale, you can upscale that quickly exactly. and beautifully. So I love that. You do one, one to one. And I guess people listen to this. A lot more people are doing that kind of stuff and they realize they're bringing the kingdom values. They're chatting on the bus. They're not going along with sexual banter at work when everyone else is. They're creating a different kind of space. Their office is the one safe space in the company for people to be themselves. And these things are really powerful and really beautiful. It's just that often we do them without thinking. But people notice, don't they? Oh, they do. And I think, Rachel, if you look at some really significant things that we would put out there, you know, computer program business, the entrepreneur, he had the idea. Nobody knows who he is. No, it's It's often not the person that upscales it or shifts it. But I think gospel entrepreneurs you're one of them, Rachel. You you lead the way. You've done a great job. Is there one thing you'd say to the people listening? I'm not sure it is. I, I've kind of done certain things. You've done various things. You're now in a new space, gone to a new part of the country. But you are convinced of the gospel. Yeah. And you're convinced that creativity and initiating those mm. entrepreneurial ideas, fruits, what would you say it's your final kind of shot, Rachel? Yes. Uh, Rachel Gardner, give us your word <laughs> now. I feel like I need to I need to fall over or something just to kind of break the break the ice. But I, don't fall over. No, don't no fall over. No, no one can see. It wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. I, I would say this. So whether you are housebound doing this online or you can get out physically. I would say to you, what is the need that Jesus is showing you and how can you get as close as you possibly can to that need? Because as you get really close, spend time with the people that you feel Jesus is asking you to be with. I I really think as you feel close, the Holy Spirit will reveal some really creative solutions some really creative ideas, some out of the box thinking. The Holy Spirit is the most creative, innovator, entrepreneur, pioneer. And as you are close to the Spirit and close to the needs that you want to respond to in the power of the Spirit, I think that's when the ideas will flow. So don't sit with a bit of paper and pen, don't start there. Start at the point of need and then gather people around you that will help you fuel that fire. Wasn't that great? Rachel, such a star. I love the shelf of shame uh, where you have a go and try things. I also just was amazed. Imagine being in that hotel room when she pinned all her hopes on someone and it didn't happen. And then her sobbing in the toilet. Hey, sometimes as entrepreneurs, we live with that and it happens. 
But Romance Academy continued and it continued to thrive. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks for listening today. To find out more about what we're doing at Revelation Trust, you can head to revelationtrust.org. And I'll be back with a new guest. So make sure you check out the UCB Player app or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And do feel free to pass this on to others if you think they will benefit from what you've heard today. Roy Crown, God bless you. Thanks for listening.